Hello and welcome back to Rocket Fund. On today's show, we are joined by Robin Waite. Now, Robin Waite is on a mission to help coaches, consultants, and freelancers to articulate their value and to two times their income. He's a business coach, he's a keynote speaker, he's an author of five books. But what I loved about our conversation with him is he had an amazing story about he had 12 years um, within a business working, and then he came to a point where he nearly burnt out. He he, I'm not going to give away too much, but he burnt out and then he had a rethink. He had a break and then he came back and then he started Fearless Business. Um, we delve into all about that journey. We delve into his top tips. Um, so I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome, Robin, um, to Rocket Pod. Delighted to have you on. Um, Robin, um, for many of our listeners that, don't, well, that might not know Robin, Robin is the author of Take Your Shot um, and uh, coaches entrepreneurs across well internationally i believe um, and also has um a fearless podcast uh, that is close to his 100th episode um and robin has quite an interesting um story about how he got into coaching um and really how he refined honed his his trade um so robin why don't you start with kind of um where you grew up um and just provide a bit of context for our listeners as far as, far as where you are now um and then kind of dive into some of the tips you might have for the budding entrepreneurs um, looking to kind of take that leap and, and kind of price their business and to kind of get started, really. Yeah, thank you, James. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on the podcast. So thank you for inviting me on. But uh, I'll, I'll try and make it as potted as I can in terms of sort of the background. But um, I always knew sort of growing up um, and through sort of the latter part of my schooling years, I wanted to start a business, but didn't really ever know what I wanted to do. Um, and uh, it wasn't until I saw somebody running a, a, a business in a really abysmal way that I thought I can do a better job than them. So I actually ended up out of school. I started um, working for a company, uh, medical aesthetics business um, uh, or medical um, supplies business, basically, as a systems analyst. So I'm, I'm a very data driven, uh, numbers focused sort of guy. Did that for four years whilst I got my degree. And um, during that time, the business owner was... Um, he was, he was brilliant when it came to designing and developing the products, but utterly terrible at running a business. Um, pretty much ran it into the ground. And gradually over the four years I worked there, we turned it around. Uh, I managed to double the turnover of that business, triple the profit, managed to get his spending habits under control. Um, and uh, I was doing all of that on a student wage. And um, when I turned, eventually turned around to him and said, hey, listen, can you pay me some more money? He, he said no. And I was, it was like 15K and I you know, made him hundreds of thousands of pounds. So I said, cool, well, can I do a side hustle then? Would you mind if I did a side hustle whilst I'm working for you? And bought and sold um, laptops, which doesn't sound very glamorous, but you've got to bear in mind this was like the year 2000. And uh, it's just, I was selling special grade laptops to construction sites. And basically, you drop them off a 10-story building, they would bounce and survive. So proper high-end things. And I was making about four or five grand a machine on these things. So as a, as a side hustle, it was great. And um, uh, my my boss walked in on me doing a deal for 40 of these um, laptops and worth a significant amount of money if you do the maths on that. And he immediately took away all of my privileges and said, oh, you can't run your business from here. And I was like, well, I'm getting my job done. So why can't I do this? And I had, I had a proper um, sort of uh, it was the first big decision I think I made as an adult, uh, middle finger moment where I stood up and I said, listen, I'll be handing in my notice tomorrow. You know, I'm done. I'm just going to go and do this full time. And, and I haven't looked back. And actually, um, the bubble burst with that, the, the, the laptops, because all of a sudden now people started importing, you know, en masse from 
sort of China and Malaysia and places like that. And the price of the things dropped um, by about a fifth, um, to a fifth, pretty much within the space of about two weeks. So I had to come up with something different. And uh, it was at that point in 2004 when I set up a, a web design and branding business that went you know, great guns for a little sort of local agency. We got it to about a quarter of a million pound turnover. We were um, a small team of four designers. Um, I grew that between 2004 and 2016. And then um, and then I had a bit of a breakdown. I don't know whether, I mean, I, I think we're going to talk about that a bit later on, James, but um, uh, that led to me setting up Fearless Business as it stands at the moment, getting into sort of the coaching space, which you know, uh, there's there's tons of, I could talk all day about sort of the coaching space. You know, there's some brilliant aspects to it, but some also sort of slightly nefarious aspects to the coaching space, which I had to kind of overcome myself to start off with. But um, yeah, now now I help business owners um, to not make the same mistakes as my boss way back when in the old business uh, and to accelerate the growth of their businesses. You know, it took us 12 years to grow the agency and um, my my goal was is always um, for it not to take that long for other business owners to do it and and you know get to six figures seven figures as quickly as you possibly can. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing. I, I think you raised a couple of really interesting points actually in just that little that little story. So um, you know adaptability, um, you know thinking outside the box as far as this little side hustle because you know just because your boss couldn't give you what you needed, um, you came up with another solution. Um, and then obviously you had the courage to walk away from a situation that wasn't working for you anymore. So I think so many people out there, you know, they might stick with a bad situation, um, either not, um, you know, stand up for themselves or, or maybe not, you know, think of that there are other options available to them. Um, and then um, you did your own thing and, and haven't looked back. So I think that's that's really interesting. And, and also the, you know, bit of resilience, too. Uh, so th- thank you for sharing. It's a pleasure. I, I think, you know, the decisions in the moment, it was really easy. I think um, uh, too many people get like too emotionally attached to, you know, um, some of these key decisions. Like we have to remember the only reason why many of us have jobs is to is to make a bit of money to pay our mortgages so that we can do fun stuff at the weekends. And like the, the reality is like that's not worth getting emotionally attached to. And, you know, there are always other jobs. There's always other like business opportunities out there, as, as I discovered myself. And I, you know, again, you know, when I, I closed, I ended up closing the agency down in 2016 when my wife was, um, she was eight months pregnant and uh, we're, we're about, so we were three weeks away from my second daughter being born uh, and she, because we had a planned cesarean, so we knew exactly what data it was going to be. And I just had one of those moments of like clarity where I realized that whilst I loved the agency, I was too emotionally attached to it. And, and my we had 120 clients and they were essentially 120 bosses. Again, like my boss in the old business. Uh, my, t- my team were great, but they were slightly dysfunctional, I'll be honest. And it was a bit of a drag having to get into the office every day to tell them how to do their jobs. And like you hire people so that you, you know, you don't hire somebody to then have like be looking over their shoulder and for t- two people to be doing that job. And I just wasn't happy. And whilst I didn't know what the solution to that was at the time, I was like, I just need a complete break from this for months, not a couple of days, but for several months and to focus on my family. And that, and I think for me, that's what I real, realized, at, you know, how old was I then? So, you know, coming up to 35, 36, um, realizing that I wish my parents in school, they taught me more about relationships, love and money than anything else, like all of the maths, all of the business degree work, you know, that I'd done for four years, 
all of those things I actually don't think really mattered one jot if I'd actually been a little bit more streetwise about how to manage my money better and and you know how to find more meaningful sort of relationships in my life well that's pretty well again it takes uh so that it, it did take an event for this clarity this clarity moment this light bulb moment and it sounds like things were going well but it just wasn't uh, serving yeah, you. it I, wasn't filling you up you know something wasn't working yeah but you know what there, there was one specific catalyst james um where where it all sort of came to a head um and um i was out with my cycling buddies on a sunday morning and I, I'm a little bit, I'd like to say fearless, but to be fair, when I'm on my bike, I'm probably a bit reckless, <laughs> to, to be honest. But I went down a local categorized climb. I hate going uphills, but I went down it at 52 and a half miles an hour That's on a push quick. bike. Right? That's pretty, pretty quick on a push bike. <laughs> pretty ridiculous. And it was the first time I'd done it. I've gone that fast down this particular hill. I got I got the king of the mountain going down the hill. Uh, so that shows like, and there's 3,000 odd people for that that segment. But um, if, if you're into Strava and stuff like that, but um, at the bottom of the hill, I broke down, uh, not my bike, me, I broke down, just trying. And I, I was like, okay, something's not right here. And my, my cycling buddies, I kind of said, don't worry, I'll be fine. Just just go back to the cafe. I'll meet you there for cake and coffee later. And um, and ended up, fight, um, ended up being next to a, a railway line and not really for any nefarious reasons. It was actually just a quiet spot when there weren't any, weren't any trains going past. And, and the train went past in that moment. And I thought, you know, gosh, what if I'd been stood in front of that train? And then a split second later, because I'd like to think that I, I feel sorry for anybody who ever gets to that, that drastic sort of point, but I'm, I, I wasn't there. I, I immediately thought, well, actually, I, I'm not there. So what am I going to do about this? And that was the catalyst where I was like, literally, I went home, said to my wife, you know, big, big bump, eight months pregnant, you know, darling, I'm going to shut the agency down. I've had enough of it. So international sign of distress went out oh my god what are you doing you're mad and I was like I'm just not happy like this isn't you know I'll, I had some recurring revenue coming through the business so I was able to kind of um you know I knew that that would keep me going for a couple of years anyway worst case scenario so you know it wasn't like we were completely financially destitute but it was going to make life quite difficult but the reality was like it was the best decision ever because we had three months then I had three months of paternity leave and when I wasn't helping helping out with the girls, you know, I, I was just quietly thinking. And that thinking time were was just, um, you know, literally me in a notebook, no tech, not worrying about the, the, the old business, um, just thinking about like what it was, what was, who I wanted to help, how I wanted to help them, how much I was going to charge for it, what sort of clients I wanted, what my process was going to be, starting to think about what the brand was going to be and all, all of that good stuff. Um, and I think too many people like rush into like starting up a new business without really doing any of that planning work. And, but I had one, I had one clear goal in mind because, um, first and foremost, I wanted to get the same turnover as my old business, but on my own. So not feeling like I had bosses, not feeling like I had a dysfunctional team that I needed to show up for that the business had a bit more about it on in its own right. And, um, uh, my goal for that, and again, it wasn't really financially driven. It was just you set these like arbitrary sort of benchmarks in, with your businesses. Um, for me, I wanted to hit that goal within the first year. And so I, it took me a bit longer to hit the turnover sort of benchmark. But um, I hit six figures within the first year of the coaching practice, um, which puts me immediately into the top 1% of coaches in the UK, potentially in the world. And that that's no mean feat. I'll be honest, it didn't take me a year. It took me 12 years of pissing around with the other business first, learning all of those mistakes, 
to then be able to compress it down into this new new project. Yeah, that, that's it. That's interesting. Um, you should mention that the the, the twelve year journey or the str- struggle or whatever uh, through experience, and then it just led you to where you were. Um, and it also reminds me of the the eighty twenty rule, where you know eighty percent of your your troubles or your stresses come from you know twenty percent of what you're doing, and, and the other way is. You know, it sounds like when you when you walked away from your agency, you probably picked out the twenty percent that gave you the eighty percent of business, or you know, or, or you know, the things that worked. I don't know whether you can comment around the eighty twenty rule, but um, it just made me think of it. Yeah, I mean, eighty twenty is like you, you can eighty twenty pretty much any part of your business, and actually, most people don't um, y- you know, don't realize this, but quite often you'll find that um. You know, eighty percent of your your profits come from twenty percent of your customers and or products that you sell or services that you sell. You know, and um, it's very common in businesses like accountancy practices, law firms, and things like that that they will pretty much on an annual basis they'll eighty twenty their business and they'll cut out twenty percent of their their client base because it's it's the it's the low hanging fruit and kind of a, a good example of this actually. So I did this in my agency. So we um, uh, we had about a hundred and uh, 160 odd clients and we had to make quite a difficult decision when the first economic crisis hit in 2008 that everybody was competing on price so they're all putting their prices down in order to get as much business in, in as they could it's like a race to the bottom and um i i just thought well what one one i like to do things differently anyway so i was like we should be putting our prices up and my my business partner he was like, oh, what, like what, 10%, 20%? I was like, no, we're going to 5X our support and hosting fees. So we were charging like a tenner a month for website hosting, right? which is not, it's nothing, it's peanuts. Um, and we went up to £50 a month. And we didn't just, it wasn't just same service multiplied by five. We added some stacks, some extra value in there, more uptime guarantees and, and extra support and stuff. And it was really interesting, the numbers which came out of that. So immediately we lost 40% of our clients. Okay, so we retained 60% of them, but we lost 40% of our clients. So sometimes it's not quite 80-20, but you'll, you'll, you'll see some, some commonalities here. So we lost 40% of our clients overnight. Our revenues went up by two and a half times for obvious reasons. We're charging more money with fewer clients, so it kind of made sense. But the really interesting thing was our telephone calls, support calls, dropped by 80%, literally overnight. So that, that low-hanging fruit of people who didn't get our value left our business and took all of their problems and bitching and moaning with them. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I, whenever I coach businesses now, I always go through that process with, with them. So if they're super busy all of the time, um, and this is mostly service client businesses that I work with, but if they're super busy all of the time and they've got quite a broad client base, immediately, right, 80-20 will cut out the 20% of clients who are either giving you the most amount of problems or not giving you any money. And straight away, like you can see this wave of relief sort of wash over them. You know, worst case scenario, they work, keep on working with that same number of clients, but now they can take Fridays off. That's a pretty cool result. Super interesting. I think one thing that I think is really interesting is you had that 12 years of all of the experience that you took. Um, and now you've actually consolidated it into, I think, a 12-week course as well is something that you do for, for some of your candidates. So what I want to understand is what is the, some of the key principles and core points that you get across in these courses that you teach people that you've taken from this 12 years of experience into this 12 weeks. I'd love to know a bit more about that and the course and, and what you get out of it. Yeah, absolutely. So m- most people when they're kind of going into setting out or starting up their first business, for example, they, they, um, they, there's something which they're really good at doing and, and they're sort of, you know, a family, close family member or friend will say, Oh, you should start up a business doing that. And so they, all they do is they just go out and they look at 
what the competition doing and start to kind of model some of that's what they see as success but they don't actually what the the mistake is assuming that what the competition are doing is right so one of the biggest mistakes i see business owners doing is they don't actually take this information and then and then model it on their own business so for example if you take pricing so one of our core principles that we we teach people about is money mindset and pricing you want to you want to set your prices at a rate that is economically going to stack up for your business so if you were to take two two comparable businesses so um i've got i've got a couple of clients in the medical aesthetic space for example so if you've got somebody who is um, maybe just set, starting out, maybe they were a paramedic, they're into injecting, but like they think they can inject Botox and they're working out of like, um, I don't know, uh, uh, a room in a um, like a holistic therapy center, for example, the cost base is low. The cost for products is relatively low compared to a bigger clinic. Um, they they don't um, have the overheads of having admin staff and things like that. So they can actually afford to charge a bit lower for their treatments. Whereas actually, if you were then move into the high-end area of like medical aesthetics, similar products or the same products potentially, depending on what sort of ingredients you're using. But now all of a sudden, the high-end clinics have got like multiple rooms. They need admin staff in order to, you know, book people in, take payments and all that sort of stuff. They need cleaners to come in and clean the various different rooms. They're potentially nurse-led as well. So they have several prescriber nurse, you know, um, qualified nurses in there. All of those things cost a lot more money. So those two businesses can't charge the same rate. However, that said, that smaller, you know, more agile business could potentially, if they learn to articulate that value and they know how to explain to people, uh, talk to people about sort of the results and outcomes which they're going to get, they could charge the same of those charge the same of those high end clinics. Um, you know, so and it's not about profiteering or anything like that, because most of those small businesses really aspire to have those high end clinics, but they're never going to get there if they don't build up a pot of cash. Okay, so that that those cash reserves are absolutely vital. You know, I, to, I, I'd say probably like nine out of 10 businesses, literally, they they work and it's it's hand to mouth. So they work in order to pay off their mortgage and put food on their table. And there's nothing left in the pot at the end of the day. The most successful businesses that I see are able to take sort of 10 or 20 percent of their income, put it to one side. And then that goes into growth and scaling of the business it's there as a safety net in case, you know, like we've had over the last sort of 12, 18 months with the pandemic, things take a downturn and they're not able to do as many treatments because people can't physically come into the clinic, for example. So the, the money is actually, and pricing is actually really like a core part of um, the sort of the fearless mindset. And we spend a lot of time taking people through sort of how to price their products. And again, uh, something as simple as like, how often do you increase your prices? Okay. Again, 99% of business owners will increase their prices maybe once a year, right? And they'll be very safe with it, very conservative with it. They'll be like, oh, 10 or 20%. Okay. Like my business partner thought in the agency. But the reality is like, imagine if Beckham, right? You remember the, the match, uh, I think it was against Greece in the Euro qualifiers back in 1998 or whatever it was. It was a while ago. David Beckham steps up and he takes that free kick, curls it into the top left corner, right? Um, now, he imagine if he only practiced that free kick once a year. Do you reckon he would have scored? No. His coach, his coach reckons that 
um, uh, between the ages of, I think it was either seven or nine until that free kick, he'd taken 18,000 practice free kicks, okay? And it's the same principle with pricing, with marketing, with sales, everything in business. You need to be practicing all the time. So we actually encourage our clients to, um, uh, to very like aggressively um, test their pricing every four to six weeks until you reach that sort of point of equilibrium where your prices aren't so ridiculous that you're not getting clients saying yes, you know, but you're in that sweet spot where you've got a good conversion rate, solid conversion rate, say one in five to one in three, people are still saying yes. And most importantly, there's really great cash flow coming through the business. I'd like to take this moment to introduce to you our sponsor, Flexi, the must-have app to track and manage your subscriptions in one place. So most of us have multiple subscriptions nowadays for things like streaming services, gym memberships and food deliveries. These are great and take the hassle out of buying everyday products that we consume regularly, but it can be hard to keep track of them. That's where Flexi comes in handy, using super secure technology to connect your accounts to see all your subscriptions in a single dashboard, putting you in control of your spending. And what's more, Flexi's subscription marketplace allows you to discover new products you may love, or easy to pause, resume, or cancel in a swipe or two. So give Flexi a try, it's free to download from the App Store, or check out their website at www.flexiapp.uk. That's F-L-E-X-Y app.uk. Back to the podcast. I think there's something else that's springing from my mind, um, or sorry, starting with the end in mind, you know, what, what are the motivations of the business? Um, so just listening about pricing, um, a few years ago, I just, I came across a security, there was two security businesses. Um, they were both doing 3 million in turnover. Um, one of them was a transactional sale. Um, and one was, had a kind of a SaaS component or a, you know, recurring monthly component. And the one that had the, the SaaS component, um, was worth three times the amount as the other business and they the identical turnover per year. Um, I don't know what, do you ever come across that? Um, I, I guess it's co- becoming more common even with, um, with coaches and your, the service industry as far as developing services that um, people pay a monthly service for. Um, I guess the 20% they're putting aside would help them weather the cash flow gap because if you're only taking a small installment opposed to all the money up front, then that, that is challenging for, for, for businesses to adapt. Well, it's, it, um, you know, I think it's the stat is something like, you know, people are 16 times more likely to buy from you once they've already bought another product. So when you've got subscription based clients in your business and you have, I don't know, several other core products, which you can then potentially sort of upsell to them, um, you know, that, that, that's um, going to create, you know, you know, it, it's kind of what I call the sales cycle of doom. If you've only got like one product and you're having to sell it like over and over and over, over again, like sell, deliver, sell, deliver, sell, deliver, sell, deliver. At some point, you're going to get burnt out or go away on holiday, and then you stop selling, you stop delivering, you stop earning money. So, where where businesses have that subscription or recurring revenue model, it means that they have like slightly more time to deliver a better quality product, which means that you make more money on the back end. And so, what you actually get over all of that is is more time. So, in direct answer to your question, like why why are they worth three times the amount? Well, it, it, it means that the business has security irrespective of like whatever external circumstances are kind of like pushing on the business. Um, and also it means that in order to um, look after, like maintain those clients, you have to have some element of like systems and processes in place. Uh, if clients are staying for a long period of time, it means that they're, they're, um, 
they're really engaged with your brand and things like that. So all of those sort of add to the multi, you know, the multiplier sort of effect in the business. I mean, I'm, I'm no expert on, you know, acquisitions and selling businesses. I have got um, three clients who are currently going through the buyout sort of process. So we've had to work through all of those things. Um, I'd say for me, though, with those businesses, it's, um, uh, you know, we take it's two, two kind of approaches. One is we use the traction model. So by Gina Wickman, which kind of just means that you're kind of documenting everything all the way through the process. You're, you're making sure that you've got good planning documents. You're, you're looking into the future to see what your business looks like in three, five and 10 years time. Um, and that works really well. And then there's another guy called um, uh, Perry Marshall, who's an amazing consultant based out in the States. And he wrote a book called Detox, Declutter and Dominate. And the idea is that actually a lot of people see systemization as making the business more complex. But actually, the idea is you take 80 20 that we talked about before, and you can start to take out the 20% of the things in the business which aren't really adding any value to it. And so what you end up with is all the really high value assets, which, you know, start to what well, one, it makes the business more simple and two, it makes it more saleable. Yeah, that's that's interesting. It's really, really fascinating, isn't it? Uh, in fact, Gina Wickman, one of my favorite books is uh, favorite books is Rocket Fuel, um, where it talks about the visionary and the integrator, you know, and it's almost like, you know, as entrepreneurs, sometimes we have to fulfill both those roles. Um, but if you can find someone that has the opposite skill set or is good at if you're a, you're the ideas visionary person and they're they, they kind of get lit up with operations and spreadsheets and that type of thing, then that's a really good, good balance um you can accomplish more so do you have business partners in your business or are you solo um a solo operator so to speak no i'm i made the decision so in the agency i used to have a business partner but um and it and like he's a great guy we're still very good friends but this this business i wanted to do on my own for me and i know that sounds very selfish but it means that um one one i'm more it's more agile it's more of a speedboat i can kind of if I want to do something, I can do it today. And it's not like I don't have to go to a committee and ask for permission and things like that. And um, I, I, I actually much prefer to operate that that way now. However, that said, I've got a team of coaches within Fearless Business. So my my strengths are very much in sort of um, analytics, um, sort of looking at data and dealing with sort of the product architecture, how products fit together, the pricing side of things and helping people with like their sales and um, their numbers. Um my, I, I'm not a qualified coach as such, and um, I don't have any certifications that say to me I can go out and coach people. Um, but so when it comes to things like mindset um, and that side of it, I have a team of other coaches who come in and help our clients out with the mindset side of it because because they they understand the psychology, they understand. I mean, I, I can talk about it. I can talk about things like confidence and imposter syndrome and um, you know your icky guy, your you know your reasons as to why you set up your business in the first place and all of those good things. But um, uh, I surround my people with myself with people who are um, more skilled, more qualified, and more intelligent than myself. Um, you fill in the gaps that I, I don't need to fill in. I stay in my lane. I love pricing. I love money. So, you know, I love it. Can you comment about stay in your lane? Because that's kind of an interesting concept, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I again, like, and I, I know when. What does it mean to you? Because I mean, it might mean it might mean something different to everybody. But what does that mean? Yeah, well, it's it's really hard when you first start up a business, you kind of you're wearing all of the hats. So if you break it down into just the basic sort of functions of business, marketing, sales, accounts, the actual fulfillment of whatever it is that you do, systems and automation that we've got now, you know, um, uh, every business owner starts out by doing all of this stuff themselves. And the reality is like, I, I don't know, I, I woke up 
you know, five years ago thinking that I wanted to coach people. That's what I get a real kick out of doing. Seeing the transformation happen for them when when they have a breakthrough, when they when you shift their beliefs into a new way of thinking, they apply it and then they get the results in their business. I, I didn't, when I, five years ago, I was like, I just want to coach. I don't want to spend my days doing social media. I don't want to spend my days doing my bookkeeping. I don't want to spend my day, like, that, 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 that's not what, I don't think any coach woke up thinking that that's what they wanted to do or consultant. If they want to do the work that they're really good at. So for me, it's like, I'll stay in my lane. And, and even down to like the coaching side of it, like I said, um, when I get really focused on pricing, productization, sales, um, I get great results. When I start to dip into mindset, I'm outside my comfort zone. And it's not, um, that's a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing. When clients are paying you for a specific, specific result, you want to give them the best of the best. And if that means that I've got to give it to another coach to help them with mindset, that, that's what I've got to do. Um, and it, But again, it's it's. I think business owners get very caught up with, a, it's like a pride thing. So um, oh, I, I can't, I don't want to hire somebody because it's it like, is it pride or ego where they start to think, oh, well, it's all about me. Everybody hired fearless business for Robin. No, they, they didn't. They hired me to get a specific result. I, I need to kind of in a way almost make myself like unemployable, like fire myself from my business. You know, that's, that's the ultimate business model. Hmm. Robin, what's your relationships with goals and the sort of fulfillment as your own fulfillment? Cause I guess, I think following, I guess, the 12 year periods and now that you're running in, first of all, how are you doing since the switch to now running fearless? Um, and then also your relationship with the goals. Cause I listened to another podcast and they were talking about sort of when you have a goal, once you reach it, you feel like that drive's gone and then you need to find another goal. So what could you comment around that and also comment about how you're doing now? Yeah. So for, for me personally, so um, my goal was always to get to six figures with um, with the coaching side of things. And um, like so I did that in the first um, 12 months. Um, and that again, that came through. Um, I kind of I, I, my view on goals is you set one big, hairy, audacious goal and then you reverse engineer it. And that gives you the roadmap in order to get there. So it, like if you were going to get into your car, you punch in a uh, postcode into the sat nav and then it would work out the, the optimal route, you know, for you to get there. Um, so I knew that in that first year I needed to do um, like as many speaking gigs as I could get. I knew that what my conversion rate needed to be. I knew how many clients I needed to get. So in that first year, I did um, uh, 52 speaking engagements. Uh, I ran 12, um, no, six, 12 networking events so that I could put myself up on the stage. I ran four other market, big marketing events of like 100 plus people um, in some crazy ass venues just to kind of, you know, bring people in. I, I did 125 consultations. I enrolled 40 clients, um, you know, across various different sort of bits of coaching programs that I was selling at the time. Um, so now, now at the moment, I'm I'm sort of in the 150 to 180k mark as a coach. My goal is to get to 300k, but I know when I get to 300k, what that means is um, rather than again me having to do all of the fulfillment, I'll actually have not just my coaches have their own coaching practices and I bring them in to deliver sessions. I'd love to have fearless business coaches internal so that, that I, I know that they're there, to, they can rely on them. They can do all of the extra support. So I don't necessarily have to do all of the fulfillment in the business. Um, what happens when I get to 300 K? Well, I'd love to get a million pound a year coaching practice. Why not? And the reason for that, it's not about the money. It's about the impact. So, um, I, I see, I talk a lot about turnover because it's, and money because it's easy. It's something that people can visualize. Um, but 
money for me is a byproduct of a job well done. So I know that when I get to a, a, a seven-figure coaching practice, we're, we're impacting directly 200 business owners a year who are doubling, trebling, quadrupling their turnover and getting the results you know, out, out of being a fearless business, becoming fearless business owners. Um, then there's the, the, all of the people. We, so my best clients are the ones who never pay me a penny. Right. And that, and this, so this is the second layer of impact, which we, which I measure. And this is all based around my goals as well. I know that in order to reach those 200 people, I probably, my marketing will have probably had to have reached somewhere in the region of about 15 to 20,000 people who have read, read one of my books, watched some of my YouTube videos, maybe listened to my podcast or even this podcast, you could count within that. So then we're starting to get into the realms of sort of, you know, um, and the reason for that is they read my book and I get that these are the best messages, right? I don't care about the money. These are the best messages that I get. I, I implemented X tip in Take Your Shot and uh, sh- straight away I went from 2K a month to 5K a month. Brilliant. Mm. You don't need yeah, my help at that point. Yeah. You come and work with me if you want to work with me because you're going to enjoy the process. And, and and so that yeah that's that's my view on sort of goal setting and impact um, and and sort of how I measure it. So on on the the book front, um, can you describe the the process? You know that maybe the time it took, what it took to get it out there, and, and obviously you've just shared, you know, a really wonderful insight that one of your um, readers has done. You know, and that that must make you feel really good and kind of give you the energy to kind of drive forward and write another book or you know so can you talk a little bit about the experience writing a book because um, I'm really interested so I I wrote I'm smiling there right because my process is a bit unusual so I, I wrote online business startup and take your shot they're kind of I've got five books but they're the two main ones I wrote both of them in the year preceding both of my girls being born right <laughs> So every, everybody's like, how, how on earth did you do that? How did you find the time to do it? Well, um, one, one, I was doing 4am feed and I can't get back to sleep. You know, once you've been up for a half an hour or an hour, you know, I was doing the 4am sleep uh, feed. So I'd end up um, going out on my bike for a couple of hours, come back. And now it's still six o'clock in the morning. So it was like, right, well, I'm awake now. I'm jacked up on exercise, puts, throw some coffee down my neck. And I, um, I, I narrated my books. So I dictated them um, sort of chapter by chapter. And, so online business startup, it ended up being about 55,000 words, but the first 30,000 words I wrote in a month. So what, what I did, again, this is, you, you get a picture of this, guys, about sort of how my brain works. So I was like, 30,000 words is a solid book. Uh, so June's 30 days long. That's 1,000 words a day. 10 minutes worth of, and this, is the, this was the, the interesting, 10 minutes worth of audio, because we speak at about 100 words a minute. Uh, so 10 minutes worth of audio is 1,000 words. So I was like, cool. So that's, 30 chapters, 1,000 words a day, 10 minutes worth of audio. So I'd literally drive into the office. My journey was about 10 or 15 minutes typically. So I'd drive into the office, dictate a chapter, send it off to rev.com, which is a transcription service, human transcription service. By lunchtime, they'd have it back to me and I'd edit it over my lunch break. And I did that every day for 30 days. Um, So that was the first draft of online business startup done. Um, And I took a similar approach to Take Your Shot, albeit that's a slightly shorter book and slightly different sort of format. yeah, and then I, I mean the publishing process is a minefield. I probably don't need to necessarily go into that, but if you if you can get your first draft down, um, you know that's the hardest part of it done. And I, I am in the process. I'm eighteen thousand words into my next book, which is going to be just solidly about pricing and money mindset. 
Um, but it's stalled for 90, nine months. And I, I keep on, my wife jokes, or oh, maybe we should have another baby so you can finish your book off. And I'm, no, I'm done. I'm done with kids. I love my two, I, like enough. I don't need a third one. It'll be the third one who comes along and spoils it. <laughs> Ron, what's your thoughts with automation? So one thing that I liked in there that, and one thing that I'm trying to do more of is to automate and is to be more sort of productive with my time. And I think that is a great thought on how you wrote your book there. But what is your thoughts on automation and making sure that people get that involved with their business and their day-to-day to make sure they throw out the time for the things that they should be doing that are the real value adds? And the things they enjoy. Yeah, I'm I'm a massive fan of automation, and I I mean it very it's very much going to depend on the type of business. I mean, you talked about your subscription service, you know that 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 needs heavy automation because it's kind of much more sort of um, transactional um, and selling at a distance. I think, albeit the delivery of it is where people get that really sort of you know much more of a personal approach. I think. Um, I mean, I I I have a process sort of uh, which is relatively well automated. So when people are sort of starting to get interested in fearless business you know they 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 book a a call with me that's automated they fill out an application form they do a quiz there's a few emails which go back and forth and i did once have somebody say to me oh oh it doesn't feel very personal i'm like yes but you've got to go through the automated bit in order to to get 30 minutes worth of like well i'd like to think high quality coaching from from an experienced business coach so surely that that's like your ticket to get to get access to it um but I think there is a balance to be had between like if you over automate, you do take out, strip out some of that personalization. Um, but then also it's it's that automation is also a really good way of kind of um, qualifying people. OK, so I, I used to have a, a written version of my sort of assessment form. OK, and it was like a 20 point health business health check. Very simple. And you grade yourself on these 20 questions on a scale of one to ten. And all, all prospective clients have to do this before they speak to me, right? And um, when I first started out, I, I, I moved it online, so started to automate it. And this very excitable 21-year-old fitness professional, uh, I've heard loads of really great things about you. I'd love to book a course. Like, cool, go and fill out my form. Who do you think I am? I don't have time to fill out a silly little form. I kid you not, that was her response. And I was like, whoa, hold on a second. It's part of my process, if you wouldn't mind, just so I've got some background information so we make the best use of our, our time when we're on the call. Question number one is, is business plan, right? Do you have a business plan? And uh, she she went away uh, and then came back again and said, oh, I didn't fill it out. I don't think any of the questions are appropriate to me. Hang on, do you have a business plan? That's appropriate to every business. Like, even if it's just up here, you don't have to have it written down, but do you have, you know, do you have a plan in place? So I, and I, you can cut this bit out if um, if necessary. I'm going to swear now. But my response to her was because again, part of the fearless coaching sort of model is we. I'm not here to make friends. I, you know, I have lots of my own friends. I work with clients who I'm happy to have a beer with. But you'll get tough love basically from me. A hug where necessary, but most of it's going to be tough love because that's what's going to get the results. It's going to push you. So I turned around to her and I said, "Listen, if you want 30 minutes of time, go and fill out the fucking form." And of course, she came back to me after that and said, oh, I found somebody else. And I was like, cool, I wasn't going to work with you anyway, because, you know, three red flags there. So I, I think automation is good, but it needs semi-automation where you've got a human kind of like intervening so that you end up with the best quality clients. Interesting. And I guess that really, that, that's a great example. And I guess it depends on what sort of business, what sort of some, what you're running, depends on what automation process needs to be in place. Um, but I think that human factor is so key. And like you say, people buy from people. Uh, but I think that's a great point. If she's not going to fill out the form, 
And you don't want to work with her. And I think tough love is what you need in business because like you say, you're not going to get results if you keep giving a hug and saying you do the right thing. You need to go in and say, this is what you need to change. This is what you need to do better or to switch to get the results. And I think that's great. That's it. And and that comes from knowing your client. Like I I know my clients who get who we get the best results for. They're they're good at good at following instructions. Not that we're like telling them what to do, but they're good at sort of following simple instructions. They, they, you know, well, that's kind of it, basically. And they, they implement it, you know, and you've got somebody who's like pushing back straight away. They're not coachable. So um, they're not going to be a good fit for the program. Or it's at least if I if I let them in because I need the money, like, you know, I'm letting them in for the wrong reasons into the program. So um, it, it means that we can kind of, and, and all that happens is if you take clients on just for the money, resentment starts to build up because a client feels like they deserve something. And so they're going to, like ride you until they get their desired result or outcome and blame you if they don't, if they don't get that, um, you know, and I'm, you know, you, I get resentful because I'm kind of giving them the best advice and the, that I, I think, you know, is appropriate for them and they can't follow those instructions. So they're not going to get the results. So it's just, it's just not worth it. My view is use automation to qualify and filter people out where you can bit of human intervention just to make sure that I'm not filtering people out when actually they would be a really great fit. Um, but very, just very quick example of like where we've we've used automation. So those we do about 150 plus sort of consultations um, a year. So it's a free call with clients. Um, and about two or three days after we've done that call with them, I just fire out a quick email which says, "Hey, I hope you got value from this. We include a little free gift within that as well. But then also it says, um, if, if you got value from this, would you mind just leaving us a Google review? Okay. Social proof is like current. It's the best." currency out there um and just through that one simple automation we managed to accrue i think it's something like 115 five-star reviews on google you know again which puts us head and shoulders above all of the other coaches out there who are struggling to work out how to get all of those reviews it, yeah it's it's very it reminds me of the compound effect it, it, it's just every review just makes you that it just gives you the edge doesn't it and and i'm sure there's other things that you do to again compound all that value um and that they're um yeah, this takes a little bit of thought and a system um, in place, and um, that's really interesting. I love, I loved your story about how you write your books. I think that's uh, I'm I'm taking a leaf out of that uh, as a as a way that it doesn't take a lot of time, isn't it? It's just that high energy, that ten minutes a day or whatever. Again, it's the compound effect, but it's starting with the end in mind. It's like this is the result I want, and then work backwards to figure out what steps you need. Yeah, could we talk about your podcast a little bit? And um, yeah, as James said, you're very close to a hundred uh 100 episodes um how has that journey been and why did you start that and has it evolved over time or did you have a very specific goal of the people that you wanted to interact with from the beginning great great questions i'm going to start with the um how's the journey been because <laughs> there's 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 obviously something behind that so i i got to um i got to episode 66 or 67 or something like that high 60s and i was thinking why am I doing this? Because like, I think people look at podcasts and they think, oh, I could do that. It's easy, right? And um, you you can take the easy route, which is you open up anchor.fm and you start to record into your phone and then publish it and don't really, you know, think about, you know, what it looks like. There's no low production value and all of those things. I wanted to do it properly. So when you do a podcast properly, like you guys do, uh, and like we do with um, the Fearless Business Podcast, it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of money, it takes a lot of energy and effort, right? And so 60 episodes in, I'm thinking, why am I doing this? And then out of the blue, um, I got two two really interesting phone calls, okay, as a result, direct result of the podcast. So 
the first one was a quick, quick win. I got a speaking engagement through Microsoft, which was fantastic. They listened to the podcast, loved what we talked about pricing. It'd be perfect for there. Uh, it was a load of Excel consultants, which I was doing a, a talk for. So that was great. So, and, and there's good money when you get speaking clients like that. Uh, the second one was a really interesting one. So it's the, um, it was a, an international pharmaceutical company um, and the CEO of a specific region with, which um, housed 1,100 employees, the CEO would listen to episode number three, which was about growth mindset versus um, uh, fixed mindset, right? And he loved it, okay? So they booked me to speak off the back of that. And so that's 60 episodes in, I finally got what I would class as a big win from the podcast, um, and it kind of felt like at that point that it was all worthwhile. And I, it made me re realize like why I was doing it. Now, I probably should have thought more about that at the start of the journey. And my, my advice would be to be, you know, again, if people start a podcast, like, um, you know, I initially I kind of did it just to raise our profile, like Google ability, like Google, you know, could, Google fame, could we be found on Google? It's a load of extra resources. Second thing was partnerships. So to be able to have conversations like this with really interesting people, um, you know, business owners that otherwise I wouldn't have access to, you know, we've had um, we've had YouTubers come on to the channel with like 2 million subscribers. We've had uh, international best-selling authors come onto there. And these are people who otherwise, like in, you know, the, the other side of the world, I'd never get the chance to meet them and speak to them. Um, so it was to start to forge some of those sort of um, partnerships. It was to promote our clients as well. So to give them a bit of a platform. So we've had several of our clients into the podcast. Um, and um, yeah, coming up for the 100th episode now, it's quite exciting. So we're, we're actually doing a, a relaunch with it. So we're actually, we had to push it back slightly. It was due to be um, uh, last week, but we're pushing it back by a couple of weeks just to make sure that we've got all of the assets like lined up. But we're going to launch 10 episodes all on the same day. Um, just to give it a nice big sort of boost on social and things like that. We're going to be doing a, um, a launch episode as well, where I'll be talking about sort of the journey of podcasting. Um, but yeah, it's it's been very much up and down, but now we're starting to realise like what what we can actually get out of um, the podcast for Fearless Business and for, for me personally as, um, as sort of the host of the, the, the programme as well. Right. Do you have a dream guest that you would like to invite on? Or that you've invited, well, but they haven't I, accepted. You know, the, the three guys: Peter, Harry, and James. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, no, um, uh, well, I, a dream guest. Gosh, who would I love to have on there? Um, we have really interesting conversations with with pretty much all of the guests on there. And actually, there's there's um, there's one guy. Sadly, he's not around anymore. Um, uh, but hey, if I could get if if we could bring him back somehow, a guy called Eugene Schwartz, who wrote a book called Breakthrough Advertising. So and like everybody is so hung up on marketing these days, and it's like the Twitter expert sells you Twitter, the LinkedIn expert sells you LinkedIn, the yada yada yada. Right? Nobody nobody really knows what the secret formula is for marketing these days. Gene Schwartz wrote Breakthrough Advertising in the days like this, in 1967, this is the days of like direct mail, direct response mail marketing, where you every every letter you sent out had a cost to it. So you had to really think quite a lot about the words you put on that bit of paper and how you were going to post, how you were going to get your, your bit of direct mail to stand out from everybody else's. Imagine this, imagine, right, if it cost you a dollar to send out every email, every marketing email now, do you, what do you think that would do to spam and the way people think about the content they actually put into that email? 
And this is something, it was something which Gene Schwartz predicted back in 1967, that the marketing world was going to be transformed by digitization and automation and things like that. And people were going to forget about all of the core principles around marketing. So yeah, I'd love to interview him. Sadly, I can't, but. That's a, that's a good, that's a good answer. In fact, um, it goes back to the, this whole pricing thing, putting your pricing up. Um, I think when you and I chatted a few weeks ago, you know, I sold our house in the US um, in a really, really bad market. Um, there hadn't been a house sold in 18 months. Um, so I just started putting my price up $10,000 $10, a week, every week. And I ended up selling it for the price I wanted it. Um, the valuation came in, you know, 50000 The bank wouldn't give him a mortgage. And um, <laughs> I, I sold it. The guy came up with the money. Um, I forget my point here. Um, but I, I think it's just, yeah. It, um, how do you stand out from the noise? It's like Zeth Gordon's book, Purple Cow. Um, I think there would certainly be less noise around if uh, folks were paying a pound a letter or a dollar a letter. Um, but yeah, how do you stand out in this crazy, noisy world? And actually what worked last year not, might not necessarily work this year. Um, I actually just listened to your podcast with Daniel Priestley about the, you know, his scorecard app um, business and, um, you know, how, and it's back to your, you know, you had a questionnaire to, to coach, you know, it's almost like what is, you then know who your perfect customer is, you can serve them better. Um, and then, um, you know, not marketing your core product and kind of the signals, you know, how do you kind of get people engaged on a very low level and then kind of maybe draw them in the ones that are appropriate for your core business. It's, it's so complex, isn't it? I'm still trying to figure it out with flexi, you know, um, you know, how do you get that product market fit? How do you get, you know, the right marketing message? How do you add value? You know, how do you stand out? You know, just selling your widget doesn't work, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm. Well, in, interesting. So there's a, a book, which I'm going to have to look it up because I can't remember the exact title, which I'm listening to at the moment, called The Power of Moments. Really worth checking out. Um, so in, so The Power of Moments is about this. How do, we, how do we create those powerful moments when people, you know, especially as a business owner, to, to engage people with our business? And, it, and it's simple things like if you, if you think about your, um, the moments which stand out for you, James, in your life, okay, generally speaking, will most likely involve a group of other people. So weddings, birthdays, Christmas, all of those things are like the standout memories. Um, films that you've watched, like why were they so special? It's because the auditorium was full of people. Uh, and, you know, the experience was just like, it just blew your mind with all the special effects and things like that. Um, businesses that you remember, why do you remember them? Well, things like... Um, uh, I can't remember which hotel chain it was, but whenever you, um, you show up to this hotel chain, you get a cookie on arrival, right? And that's what, you, you know, when you then read the reviews of that hotel, pretty much 90% of people, all they refer to is the free cookie they got when they showed up. But that, you know, it's little things like those little moments that make all of the difference when, you know, again, we talked about systems and automation. People are trying to rush to the sale to get the money through, you know, and they automate and systemize as much as they can. But actually, if you just slowed the process down a little bit and introduced those remarkable sort of moments, um, that, that's what makes you memorable and, and makes you stand out. But, but the key thing, James, is with no expectation of getting anything back in return. Yep, that is the key, isn't it? You just give, you add value. You're just giving value. And actually, like you said at the very beginning of the podcast, you know, money is really a measure of the value. You know, it's like that's a byproduct of the value that you're bringing. Um, it's not if you if you focus on the money or 
you know selling that core product you know you're, you're going to miss it you're going to it's going to be elusive you know how do you bring value uh that's interesting actually just um another little little thing went off in my mind so um my wife um wrote a eulogy eulogy for her um, grandfather who sadly passed away a decade ago and um part of that was you know when you look back at someone's life it's these little moments little experiences you have um, and you can literally consolidate your whole life down into these little experiences but um but a lot of them as you i mean i know this is a business concept con context um but they do involve other other folks um for me it's either people or high adrenaline on my motorbike but yeah hey um, but <laughs> it's got to be you know meaningful hasn't it whatever yeah 100 percent. i mean i i went um I, I went surfing yesterday down at the wave in bristol i don't know if you've seen it or it, i mean it's a it isn't it's the most extraordinary place the, the power of it when you just walk up to it but um uh you know the thing which stands out for me is it's um the volunteers or the staff which they've got there who are doing all of the lifeguarding and instructions and things like that they they go out of their way to make sure you're having the bet like the time of your life there you know and we we did a i i mean i i surfed a bit anyway but um so i went with a, a business colleague of mine because he's kind of getting into surfing i was like cool let's go and meet we'll have a chat afterwards but let's go and have a bit of fun in the water and just like you know so we did a beginner session and stuff and it's just like and then we're, we're there like in, in amongst the whole group of kids and stuff and like you could see the um there was, I think it was like a, a, a primary school graduation sort of, you know, um, thing that they were doing. And afterwards, um, the, it was totally unplanned as far as I could see, but they came out with a load of certificates for all of the kids and they're all getting round of applause and stuff like that. And I heard one of the parents, walk, as I walked past to go and get a coffee afterwards, one of the parents was like, oh my God, I can't, I can't believe we're getting this whole ceremony afterwards as well. This is like, this is absolutely amazing, you know. And, and that sort of, that's what kind of makes, you know, the, the biggest difference um, in any kind of an experience is to slow the process down. What little, tiny little things can we interject here just to make it like really amazing? Yeah, actually Disney are really good at that, aren't they? Um, I don't know whether you've been to Disney World in Florida, but it's, um, they're just, they're masterful. Just the whole experience of when you drive into the car park to get in the, you know, it does everything. Um, it's just, per, you know, perfect, almost too perfect actually, but uh Cool. Um, so we, I guess we're out of time. Um, it's been really good chatting to you, Robin. Um, we've had a lot of fun. Uh, so um, what bit of it's just if there was one bit of advice you could leave our listeners, uh, what would that be? Uh, just imparting wisdom. Well, I, whilst I am, I am the pricing guy, the money guy. Um, whenever you set up your business, don't don't do it just for the money. Like you have to be passionate about whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and make sure that you're really focused on delivering, you know, remarkable outcomes and results for your clients. Otherwise, you know, when things come along, because business is challenging, when those challenges do come along, it's the it's the passion and that reason why, which is going to get you through that. Because, you know, that that is what requires the greatest amount of energy is to keep going when when the chips are down. Um, uh, so that would be my sort of um, my my pearl of wisdom to, to sign off with. That's brilliant. And if people wanted to find you on social media or check out your website, uh, where can they find you? Uh, yes, you, you can Google me, Robin Waits. Um, that's with an E on the end of it. Um, otherwise, you'll end up with a Kitsap soccer coach in Canada, I think, um, if you forget to put that on. But Google me, uh, robinwaite.com or fearless.biz. Um, and I've, I've, anybody who's listening, if they want a free copy of Take Your Shot as well, um, if they're based in the UK, it'll be a paperback overseas. It's, um, it's a PDF, but fearless.biz forward slash TYS for Take Your Shot. Perfect. And actually, I've I've started reading it. It's a good book. So I'm um, I'm about a third in. So good. 
who, who should we interview next, Robin? Do you have any ideas? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, uh, I would recommend, so she's actually on my team, but uh, there's a lady called Kate Hunter. She's a really brilliant um, uh, mindset. She's my mindset coach in my team, basically. So, um, but she's, she used to work for a um, big company called 3M for about 20 years and then pivoted into coaching. Uh, so very different journey um, from sort of corporate into, into working with small business and, and you know, um, sort of the micro business niche. Um, she, she's brilliant. She, she really sparks the imagination. Thank you for listening to our conversation with Robin. I hope you found that episode really insightful and actually took some real value from it. I definitely know we did. You've got a lot of points about sort of the pricing, um, goals, uh, role models, emotional attachments. um, And obviously you heard about after his 12 years, what happened and then he went on to start Fearless Business. Thank you as always to our sponsor Flexi, who is the mecca for all your subscriptions. Check them out on the App Store. That's F-L-E-X-Y and start managing all your subscriptions from a single dashboard. Have an amazing week and we'll see you next time.